0: This is Dissecting Dragons, a speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeline Vaughan. And I'm Jules
1: Ironside. This week, complicated runes and ineffable power. Hard versus soft magic systems in speculative fiction.
0: And this week we are very pleased to welcome Olivia Atwater to the show. Hello, Olivia! Hello! Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Now, for those who have uh, listened to uh, lots of our episodes, you will have probably heard Olivia's name before because we have in the past recommended uh, several of her books, including um, Half a Soul. And so we are very excited that Olivia is now here today to talk about um, one of her newish books, um, which is actually outside of the Half a Soul um, series, and it is called Small Miracles. Uh, Before we get into Small Miracles, um, Olivia, would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'll start by saying I've only had one coffee today. That's (laughs) that's an important fact (laughs) that uh, will soon become apparent, but we're working on coffee number two, so that should hopefully help. Okay. Um <laughs> Uh so I'm uh, I'm a fantasy author. I live in Montreal, Quebec. Um my husband uh set up this recording stuff for me. He's he knows the audio magic. <laughs> uh and uh, I also have two fuzzy cats who are not allowed in the room right now. And um yeah, I've, uh, I started off as an independent author. I'm, I'm still an independent author. I, I put out several books on my own, but uh, the Regency Fairy Tales, Half Soul, Ten Thousand Stitches, and Long Shadow were picked up by Orbit. So those are traditionally published at this point. Um, I'll, I'll probably continue being a hybrid author as I uh, as I go forward. Fantastic. Um, and
0: yeah, I mean. I've got to ask, you know, sort of where where did all of this come from? Because uh, obviously um you are not from uh, the UK. Um but you did decide to write this this Regency series. Why? That sounds very accusatory. It's not. I'm, I'm very curious. <laughs> how, dare yeah, like a, how dare you? No, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. Um, sort of. You know what inspired this? Um, you know why did you decide to write a Regency fairy tale series?
2: So I uh, I did some historical reenactment, and actually, interestingly, my expertise a while back was more in, and I say expertise, it's not really expertise. It's it's just a, a hobby, um, intense hobby. Um, but uh, I, I was uh, more more well-read in Tudor England. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, around like Henry VIII, that kind of time period. Um, and I just ended up in a community of uh, several historical buffs. Um, and historical buffs love talking about history. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, when you're surrounded by these PhDs who are like, oh, and let me tell you about my favorite time period, you know, yes. <laughs> you you start picking up interesting tidbits. And um, so eventually, when I, I came up with a, an idea for a kind of uh, fairy tale where <clears throat> the main character only had half a soul um, and that this this had an effect on her such that she uh, found social cues really hard to follow. She didn't have intense emotions, no fear, no embarrassment, things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, at that point I asked myself when would this be the biggest problem? And it seemed more likely that the Regency era would would be a big problem as mm. opposed to the Tudor era. So at that point, you know, I, I did what you do and I I just hit up all of my PhD friends and <laughs> I said Who, uh, Who's an expert in the Regency era? And uh, I <laughs> got a few few people raised their hands, so to speak and uh, and I hit up uh, a friend of mine who's an expert in Regency uh, Did their thesis on Regency manners mm-hmm. and um, and then I dove in and did the research and got them to check all my stuff, and uh, it did indeed turn out that the Regency era was, a, for several reasons, a really good pick uh, for this particular sort of plot. Mm-hmm. Um, the Victorian era probably would have also uh, worked, but it, we associate the Victorian era with kind of more Gothic literature, which would have given it a different tone. Yeah. Um, whereas the Regency era, we have, for better or for worse, uh, started to um, associate it with a very fairy tale esque kind of um, story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, to some extent, I also wanted to satirize that because the Regency era was not really fairy tale esque for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it has always bothered me just a little bit um, the way that it's portrayed in media uh as though everyone was going to balls and uh everybody was rich and searching for husbands and it's just uh there there are, there are a few things that uh I, I thought you know while i'm at it since i have all these history experts with me i'll uh i'll go ahead and uh slip some of this stuff in
0: yeah fantastic um but of course uh, small miracles is a slightly different kettle of fish
2: yeah, it's a it's a very different kettle of fish, um, and uh, we talked about this actually. So I actually could have set Small Miracles just about anywhere, uh, mm-hmm. because it's a it's a modern fantasy. Yeah. And the sole reason <laughs> I set it in London was because I, uh, after doing the Regency Fairy Tales, I had a fantastic narrator, mm-hmm. uh, Rafe Beckley, uh, who did all of the Regency Fairy Tales originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Orbit redid them. And then I was like, oh, no, Rafe, <laughs> they've redone your books. I feel so bad. And I was like, I need to give, and I love you as a narrator, so I need to give you another book to uh, to narrate for me. So I set <laughs> yeah. it in London, so just uh, literally solely so that I could hire Rafe again. Yeah. I think
1: we both enjoyed it via audiobook as well, yeah. almost at exactly the same time as well. So, um, yeah, we... Uh... I agree yeah i think absolutely the race
0: choice. <laughs> choice was very very good and it was very very enjoyable um but can you tell our our listeners a little bit about what small miracles is about
2: um yeah so small miracles is a uh i i believe uh the summary i've given several times now is um uh angels and demons uh sorry gender fluid angels and demons uh have uh petty arguments about chocolate and that's you know (laughs) basically the whole thing um uh you know a few other things happen in there but i feel like that summarizes the feel of the book pretty well (laughs) yeah i feel
0: like it's a cozy good omens if that makes sense
2: Really. yeah yeah i mean it it obviously draws very heavy inspiration from good omens um i'm i'm such a huge terry pratchett fan mm. um and uh but i really prefer my stories to be much more small scale yeah um i'm not a big fan ironically of like the end of the world plot line um so i really wanted to do a story that had a a similar setting, similar feel to Good Omens, but focused on much smaller stakes. Yeah, Um,
0: and and I feel like you succeeded with that, um, because it it is very character-driven, and that is something that is a a large part of your writing, I think, is that you are very character-driven in your stories, so rather than it being epic, end-of-the-world sort of quests, it's much more um, end of my my life but not necessarily physical life but end of my life as i know it sort of stories very Uh, personal um
2: which i think works very very well Well, yeah i um I, i i do have a um uh fantasy as a genre i i find that epic fantasy um it's rare to find an author that will do everything I like all at once. Mm. Um, and I find that epic fantasy um, tends to do world building really well. Yeah. Um, and it tends to do, like, the high stakes and the plot and the twists and stuff very well. Um, but it's rare to see all of that and um, really crunchy characters. It's not impossible, but it is, it is more rare. And so I found that cozy fantasy is a really nice niche for me because... I really am um i I love crunchy characters, um and I feel like you can get a little bit more into the nitty gritty of characters uh when you're not distracting them with oh no, the world's about to end,
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, and it, I mean, the, the trouble is it is kind of a go to for an awful lot of people and certainly for newer fantasy writers it seems to be a go-to for like their first book and how do you raise the stakes after that because the world didn't end after all in, in book one but it can't always be ending
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it's
1: like, some, sometimes it's okay for it not to be a world ending type scenario sometimes, in fact the vast majority of the time I would say it can just be a case of no this one thing is right you know it feels like the world's ending but
2: yeah exactly and i i think that to some extent um when you have an event that big going on in your world it can distort characters um and i don't mean like um intentionally but i mean like you know think of your average human being and what they're like on a day-to-day basis and then imagine that you tomorrow woke up and the world was ending you'd act very differently yeah. Um, and so you may not necessarily be on screen at a time when people could see what do you normally like? Um, yeah. because you're a, a little distracted by the end of the world. So I, you know, and I do, uh, I do enjoy, um, end of the world fantasy every once in a while, but, uh, for, for me, for my writing, I'm, I'm a lot more, um, I, I really enjoy rather than, uh, the world is going to end, as you said, kind of my world is going to end and, uh what do i do i don't have the right dress for prom or something you know (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. i think one of the things i particularly liked about small miracles and uh, this is gonna help a segue into the into the conversation is actually how you made the magic work because and when i again we compare it to something like good omens um the ineffability of Crowley and Azira Fails magic is is quite large um, you know, you don't actually know what their limit is, you don't really know kind of where they are, whereas with Small Miracles there is this sense of they each have a place, they each have something that they, they work in Small Temptations or Small Miracles as the book is literally called um, and for me I really liked that because It enhanced that sense of something small but all can actually be very impactful um and it really is the straw that breaks the camel's back or the you know or the reverse i guess the tiny catalyst that becomes a huge explosion um and that made it very personable but it also i think in some ways made it more grounded because we kind of understood what the rules were we understood how things worked and so when the characters did something clever um it it felt clever it didn't just feel like oh you could do that all along it was we see their constraints and so we actually see the puzzle solving as it happens
1: Mm-hmm. yeah I, I loved the point system actually it, it sort of appealed to the part of me that likes to put things on spreadsheets yeah. for a start <laughs> but, um I, I thought it was great and the, the idea of attributing sort of sin points and 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 the reverse um was was extremely amusing and used a very good effect to set up a few of the very very funny parts of the book
0: yeah absolutely Which brings us on to our main conversation of the day, uh, which is hard and soft magic systems. Now, some of you might at this point be saying, "Okay, what the hell is the difference between a hard and soft magic system? What do you mean? Uh, Well, um, that's a slightly complicated discussion, so um, I'm actually going to let Jules begin by explaining this. (laughs) There you go,
1: Jules. (laughs) (laughs) you deal with this. Um, Yeah, basically, this is, it's going to be a sliding scale, so we're kind of introducing a false dichotomy to explain this sliding scale to start with, Um, so bear that in mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, As with all storytelling ingredients, reader tastes will vary. Um, The terms were apparently coined by Brandon Sanderson to explain how magic is applied in storytelling and how each affects the story, because each affects the story in slightly different ways. Um, One is not better than the other, it just depends on what you're trying to achieve in the story. So with that caveat out of the way, (laughs) uh, let's go into this as sort of a, a, a basic comparison. So the biggest difference is that hard magic should solve problems for your characters, while soft magic should cause problems in storytelling terms. That's that's quite a generalisation, and as we've said, <laughs> it's a sliding scale. But that's generally where it is. There's yeah. obviously more than two modes um, of storytelling here, but the basis of the magic affecting the story is is you know whether it causes problems, whether it solves problems.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's also worth noting, just to really uh, confuse things, that you can actually have both systems in a story at once. Uh, but we'll get into that messy little pie uh, later on.
1: Thank you for that mentally.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so if all that's true then why does it even matter well the thing is if you don't add a magic system in a careful and conscious way to a story then it tends to fail and when a magic system fails in fantasy it tends to take the entire story down with it so it's definitely worth thinking about
2: yes yes, it does tend to tend to be a pretty big part of uh most fantasy stories
0: yes yeah absolutely (laughs) okay so with that in mind um let's go to um again we're we're generalizing so we're going to go to sort of some of the the most obvious ones that we can think of just to give you a general idea with the understanding that it is a sliding scale so uh, let's begin by talking about hard magic and what the pros and cons are so hard magic is basically a system of logic so it will have rules and limitations um, and it is nearly always tied to uh, a specific discipline or understanding so for example uh, mathematics, music language, alchemy etc
1: yeah some of my favourites were obviously the ones tied to language so um, if you think of things like Garth Nix's Abhorsen series, where you know magic is sort of a free-floating entity, but you can channel it with Charter Marks, which is basically this very complicated magical language that anybody can learn, but few people excel at because of the sheer complexity of it.
2: Yeah. You know i I love I love the Abhorsen series, and uh, I would actually say that um, the uh, the system of Death and the gates that are, uh, that separate death into, I think it was nine different um, areas. Yeah. I would argue that that's also hard magic, um, even though it is kind of spooky and um, scary um, and doesn't feel always um, super well defined. Uh, I mean, it is defined because every gate has its own uh, specific dangers, its own specific ways people have figured out to deal with it um so i would say that 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 also kind of leans on the harder side of a, a magic system right there yeah
1: yeah i agree and it's it's tied to music with the you know the seven bells of the yeah or the yeah. necromancer oh, as well The so, bells
2: are so neat I <laughs> yeah i know this
1: it's one of those ones where i read it and i was like i really wish i'd thought of this
2: right I, I read it and I was like I want a bandolier of bells that is just yep. the most That's just, I don't sounds actually want like
1: to
0: <laughs> imagine writing that on your Christmas on your Christmas present list <laughs>
2: bandolier <laughs> of bells
0: Oh, what um, another example would be something like uh, full metal alchemist where obviously the magic system is surprise surprise alchemy um um and again, it's, it can almost feel sort of scientific in a way, um, but or it can feel a little bit more kind of mystical. Um, but the fact is that it is tied with this clear sense of logic, there's this pattern. So let's look at some of the pros and cons. Um, The pros are that the strict rules and parameters do make for more satisfying magical conflict resolution, Uh, because it's very hard to bring in a deus Deus ex machina when there's, (laughs) with mathematics, you know, you can't just have two plus two equals eight all of a sudden because of deus machina. There are a clear sense of rules. Um, this means that readers can actually enjoy watching a character problem solve, um, which just also makes it more immersive um, and engaging as a story. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, that's particularly appealing to, I mean, if you're a nerd like me and you really like the details, you like the mathematics and the music and and the linguistics or what have you, mm-hmm. then, yeah a well-drawn hard magic system definitely makes you feel like you're actually learning this this magic or gaining a deep understanding of it so yeah in that respect i definitely think it's more immersive
2: yeah and i would i would say that the entire genre of um progression fantasy is uh pretty like the extreme end of the hard magic scale um yeah
0: yeah yeah, i agree completely agree
2: um Um, you know You know, yeah, for, sorry, for readers who who don't know progression fantasy, because I don't know how mainstream it is, it's, you know, you, the characters themselves often know uh, the rules and can say things like, you know, I'm a level five magician, you know, (laughs) like, I can (laughs) do X, Y, Z, like, it's it's where the rules are so codified that the characters are, are aware of them.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's almost drawn out of D&D, isn't
0: it? Yeah. At point? Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, there is a and d element to that. Um, <laughs> which, again, is actually kind of satisfying. Um, and, I mean, it, it all kind of means that it's easy to set the stakes of the story uh, because magical interactions have clear abilities and limits um, speaking of D&D and things like that I can think of no better example than you might have seen this sort of floating around on the web but it's a band who uh, they're a D&D band so they, they're dressed up as their characters and they're and it's something <laughs> like um, uh, so uh, this song is called our level three party just uh, uh, yeah. entered the, the <laughs> like, like the layer of a destroyer and and then it's just them screaming. And the fact is, like, you don't even need to know what this creature is. The fact is that you understand the concept of level three and something called like a destroyer that wasn't. What I think it was it's. Called, I think but... it's a beholder. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's the beholder. Yeah, and you, <laughs> you understand it. It's very easy to kind of see that. <laughs> um, and it it's
2: make... so. St- it's so strange to me that D is mainstream these days. I grew up playing D and D. If you had if you had told um, young me that D&D would someday be cool i would have looked at you as though you were insane um, and yet here we are yeah
0: that's a whole other conversation for another day don't get me started oh, because you absolutely. almost pulled me in there i was always be like oh, yeah, yeah. I, no no we've got to stick on <laughs> we've got to stick to the cards. <laughs>
2: Um, uh, yeah. However, hard magic definitely D and D. Yes, yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, most, absolutely. That, that's most, a
1: good way of thinking of it. Yeah,
2: most most Dungeons and Dragons um, magic systems are Vancian. There are some alternative systems, yeah. um, but the the Vansian system definitely hard magic. It's based on kind um, of the books by Jack Vance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the spell slots that you can memorize and use up.
0: Yeah, absolutely And there's a
2: little bit of soft magic mixed in there In in sort
0: of more of the storytelling terms But you are absolutely right um, That it is a kind of a nice mixture Of all of these things Um, And essentially, I mean, I think the final pro And perhaps one of the, the key ones Is that the magic moves the plot forward As you watch your main character overcome obstacles Yeah But, of course, Um, there are some cons to it as well.
1: Yeah, there are. I mean, uh, I think that one of the big ones is the limits you impose on the magic system are also imposed on the writer. So you can paint yourself into a corner quite easily. Yes.
0: Uh, (laughs) That has definitely been a situation which... I think I've fallen into, um, I, I, I know Jules has, Jules has had to sort of listen to me going, Jules, (laughs) I've painted myself into a corner. How do I get myself out of this? Um,
2: I would also say that, um, hard magic is not always the right choice for certain types of stories. Um, and uh, as of yeah, as I've noted before, like, especially like the fairy tales, um, we don't expect hard magic in fairy tales for the most part. Um, there's a certain sense of wonder that comes with soft magic, um, yeah. kind of the sense that you are discovering um, new wondrous magical things about the world along with your protagonist. Um, yeah, and I, uh, I don't I don't know that I would enjoy a fairy tale with a, a magic system that was too hard. Um, it it would feel like it strips away part of what makes it a fairy tale. Yeah, Um, because
0: fairy tales do have to have that sense of whimsy, don't they?
2: Yes. Um, Whimsy can be
0: a little hard to do with (laughs) mathematical exactitude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we'll we'll get into actually maybe kind of how that works and how that doesn't work um, in a minute, but you are absolutely right. Um, I think that, you know, that also means that you can suddenly find that you're very limited because trying to add new abilities that that can really start to appear as contrived um and you know it it can be very frustrating for the reader uh, because you're essentially breaking promises you've set something out and the only way that you can really get around this is if you bring up the possibility earlier on which they do you know all the time for example if we look at ghostbusters it's that don't cross the streams uh, why mm. don't we cross the streams etc and then <laughs> later on yeah. it's we're gonna cross the streams um yes and it would have felt very contrived if they just suddenly said wait if we cross the streams later on yes if yeah. we hadn't had that mention of yeah. it before
1: yeah um riffing off olivia's point as well because the readers tend to especially if you've managed to really immerse them in your story because they're intimately acquainted with the system that you've put in place, there, there will tend to be less of that sense of wonder. So,
2: yeah, um, I am.
1: Um, your, th- your system better be really engaging to make yeah. up for that.
2: Um, I would also add um, I think soft magic works better for satire. Um, and we can see uh, an example of this in Terry Pratchett. Um, Because Pratchett, of course, is just um, like the quintessential fantasy satirist. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that in Discworld, he has to introduce new magical ideas in most of his books. Because if he's going to accurately skew a concept, he needs magic that will specifically hone in and do that. And so a lot of times, you know, if you tried to hold Discworld to a hard magic setting, it, it just wouldn't work. Um, because he's got to smush all of these, these different magical ideas together uh, yeah. in the same world. Um, and on the one hand, the world thematically coexists very well. So, like, you know that if you read a Discworld book, it's going to be funny. Uh, it's going to have, you know, a very loosey-goosey magic system. Um, you know there's probably going to be, oh, I don't know, some gods involved. Um maybe a dragon, um, things like that. But you you can't really say that from one Discworld book to the next Discworld book, uh, the rules of magic stay exactly the same. Um, And I think that's, you know, I think that's the way he had to do it. uh, Because otherwise, uh, I I think trying to impose a hard magic system on books which are at their their root um, a way to skewer modern concepts Uh, It just would not feel the same. It would fall down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it's weird because the way, you know, he kind of picks up magic and puts it down as it suits him, uh, which works perfect for the books. And it's funny how when he picks up the magic, it's kind of in those points where he's making it, he's saying something impactful, but in a quite non-intrusive way. And those bits seem to be the ones that stay with me. So for example, in going postal, when there's all the weird stuff going on in the post office because all these undelivered letters there it's kind of like a weight of words yeah. and it's almost like haunting but it's never really fully explained other than to say well there's, there's all these things that were not delivered were important because people were trying to say things they were trying to communicate
2: yeah and it's, it's a you know that you say that scene and I'm like man that was a very visceral scene um, yeah. that stuck yeah. with me too
0: And I think that this is one of the big interesting things is that with hard magic, there is this kind of this clear cut system, but you do have this soft magic sometimes, these soft magic systems, which are based on things that make um, emotional sense where, yes. you know, you you read that with Terry Pratchett and you didn't think that just sounds completely nonsensical. It made sense, but it wasn't a hard, logical thing. It was a big, emotive thing. It was a psychological thing instead. Um, and it had that absolute whimsy. It wasn't explained. There were no hard or clear-cut lines. But we got it. We understood it. Um, and, again, I think one of the big things is that people hear hard and soft and they think that soft is going to just make no sense whatsoever, which is silly and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, But they also think that hard is always going to be something which is very constrictive um or means that you can't have any sense of wonder or anything like that um, and i think you absolutely can you know you made that point earlier with the with the death it was the death gates wasn't it yeah uh, yeah um in that there is still the sense of spookiness there's still the sense of uh the supernatural as it were but it's still very much based in something uh, and that's kind of, I think, what makes the hard and soft magic system a little bit nebulous when yeah. trying to explain it. Yeah,
2: yeah uh, no, final, I would... Final, sorry. I, I, oh, I would say that the, the Death Gates are are one of those um, systems that um, it's it's a little bit further towards the middle, um, but it's I would err on the side of hard magic for them. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. what we what we were saying about emotional sense, um, I think that's a really important point because a lot of times I find that soft magic thrives when it's being used to um, develop characters um, mm-hmm. or or develop themes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, the classic fairy tale example is you have um, you know a little girl who is um, unfailingly sweet and polite and nice to everyone she meets and very charitable. And she helps out uh, an injured animal on the road, and then way, way, way later in the story that injured animal comes back and suddenly animals can talk. And, and it goes, oh, yeah. thanks for helping me earlier. I owe you a favor, so I'll help you out now. And this isn't... this is obviously not hard magic. <laughs> um, uh, We didn't know that animals could talk before they suddenly could, um, yeah. but it makes emotional sense because the theme of the story... Uh, is that charity um, is a good thing, and that it will come come back and uh, and help you later, um, and so f- within the context of the story, that makes emotional sense, and it also develops the character because it it helps develop that this character is a charitable character. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, agree. like yeah, I am. Um, I I really love when soft magic is. Can't I'm just going to
0: I'm just going to yeah. pause you cuz we let's just finish talking about hard magic first before <laughs> we cuz you're going to pull me in and I keep yeah. going like yeah yeah and then I'm slowly like no wait we haven't finished this bit yet so <laughs> you're making really really good points um but let's just finish hard magic first and then we can get into it because like you're starting something and I'm getting super excited
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, okay uh, final con then for um, hard magic is that your, your story arc is bound by the logic and the rules that govern your magic system which may not be a bad thing but we're back to the whole painting yourself into a corner yeah.
0: issue and telling the right kind of story which, uh, you know, Olivia you've you, you demonstrated perfectly with Terry Pratchett is that that would that, those are not stories which would work with a hard magic system mm-hmm. um, so uh, let's have a look at a few examples of books which have a hard magic system. Um obviously the old kingdom series by Garth Nix. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um uh, everything but, Brandon Sanderson. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yes. Everything Brandon Sanderson, definitely. He's very very invested in his his world building and his magic systems um not to the expense of everything else but I think that's the bit that sort of comes to him first. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, I some authors kind of get the character just walks into their head carrying all their baggage, <laughs> and the story evolves around it. I think he comes the other way around, where the world is there first, and then the characters sort of come to him afterwards. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I think I think he definitely starts from I have an idea for a magic system, and then what's a plot I can tell with this magic system.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, we also have the Bartimaeus series uh, by Jonathan Stroud. Um, Which you wouldn't think would have a hard magic system, but actually, you turn around and you go, yes, yes it does.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, his Lockwood and Co series are also, I mean, okay, it's psychics and ghosts and things, but technically that's a magic system, and that has quite set rules right up until the point where he leads you to understand that he's gonna break those rules later in the series. So yeah. he just seems to gravitate to more of the harder end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, um the Scholar man series by Naomi Novak as well. Um which is almost tied up with linguistics, so obviously I
2: love that one. I think um the Grishaverse um has both hard and soft magic. Um
0: yes um, I, I can, and this is one of those weird ones where it is a kind of a mix where they do have this hard magic. And then there's this line of when does it become, you know, when does it stop being science and becomes one of the little sciences and starts to become magical as it were, um, which I really, really like, but they only really started to explore that in the later parts of the Grisha series, I think. Mm-hmm. But I completely agree. Grisha is one of the ones where you're like, I thought I knew, but now I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, we then, of course, obviously have the Unveiled series um, by Jules, which, again, you um, you wouldn't sort of go to that and think that's a hard magic system, but it sort of is. Well, again, it's ghosts and psychics and,
1: I, you know, my spin-off series, Harker Blackthorn, again, um, I, I seem to gravitate toward writing magic systems that have rules and limits and, you know, structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyone who's spent any time talking to me about writing knows that I'm an absolute bear for <laughs> story structure, so it's not really that surprising. It's It's gone into other aspects of world building and stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um... It's, it's really funny that I love reading hard magic, and I just... Don't enjoy writing it. <laughs> like, it's such a.
1: <laughs> like, it's weird because I would have said Small Miracles was more towards the harder end of them. I mean, we're back to the whole where it's a spectrum, we? Mm. but because it's a point system, I would have said it was more sort of towards hard magic.
2: I think it's a little bit more towards hard magic than most of the other stuff I've written. Um, but I, no, I, I think I enjoy soft magic more. Um, I just, like I said, there's something about the wonder of it and the. Mm-hmm. Just looking for ways to um, m- make a, a visceral impact with it that I, I just really like. Yeah, yeah, and
0: I think one of the key differences that we'll see, and, and we'll also see as we go down, is that hard magic tends to be utilised when your main characters are using magic. So in Small Miracles, it would have actually been sort of quite unsatisfying, um, you know, if the main characters just had this limitless, wibbly-wobbly power. There had to be a kind of a sense of structure in order to create that tension, in order to feel the genuine worry, etc. Whereas when you do get the soft magic um, in in sort of other series and stuff like that, it doesn't tend to be the main character who has that... Unlimited power Um, So we get it with fairy tales They usually have magical companions And they might have a little bit of magic themselves Which is perhaps a tiny bit You know Questionable or doesn't seem to have Necessarily Um, a kind of a logic behind it but the, the big powerful stuff is beyond their control and that's where the kind of the whimsy comes from because if they just had it to begin with and there was no real sense of where it begins and where it ends that would be quite unsatisfying for a reader of course it can be done Um, Again, our our good friend Terry Pratchett, I say good friend, I wish, Um, (laughs) did it obviously again with Aziraphale and Crowley. We don't really know where it ends, but in some respects, Aziraphale and Crowley aren't really the main characters or the main movers of the plot of Good (laughs) Omen.
2: Yeah, they're just kind of out there being a disaster together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) they really don't actually contribute much at all really (laughs) to the end and yeah it's still
2: such an enjoyable book
0: it absolutely is is. (laughs) yeah Um, Um,
1: You kind of lean on the hard magic system in Hamasha's cycle mm -hmm. and I kind of want you to explain your god system again because it just amused me so much the first time
0: (laughs) that I didn't see it Um, Yes, so uh, (laughs) so yes, I did lean into the sort of the hard magic system with and basically again it's a mixture because the fairies have got more of the soft magic system but the humans have got have basically learned magic by being able to draw on the elemental powers of their gods and they have these twelve gods um one of which is rules during the day, the other who rules during the night, and then the five, and then the five other gods on either side um, rule at different times, and they're basically represented as stars. And so, when a star is sort of in the sky, uh, or sort of at its zenith and stuff like that, the god's particular element is. Available because their power sort of leaks out and the magi have learned, in fact, any human can do it, but they've basically learned to be able to manipulate it. But it is a hard magic system. There are limits. There are times where they can use things and there are times where they can't. Each of them will have uh, sort of an element which they are more natural with based on when they were born, etc. And some elements are better against others. And there's a whole sort of point system as well.
2: I, I actually, um, that's fascinating. That really... I've, I've got to ask, um, because historically the Zodiac actually had a, a pretty big um, impact on, on like yes. real world historical magic systems. Uh, was that something you researched?
0: yes it was so i did i did originally think of using the zodiac but i have wanted to do something a little bit different so it is based on the sort of the zodiac idea you're absolutely right um which also sort of reflects the period in which they're writing uh but the thing that jules is, <laughs> is <pointing laughs> oh, out knocking away out. is the, <laughs> the naming system i gave for each of the gods um because it's uh, malak Atheus, prospan um etc and um some, I remember someone turned around and said, hold on a second, you've named these after the, the like, the ethanes. And I was like, no. And they're like, yes, you have. Methane, ethane, propane, butane, pentane. And I was like, fine, <laughs> yes, I have. You're absolutely <laughs> right. That is what I've done. <laughs> so if you look at them, most of them are named after a... <laughs> weren't you like revising at the time or something (laughs) yes and it was because at the time i my, i tell you what it's because i was terrible at chemistry which my chemist father wasn't particularly
2: pleased with so he made me memorize i I feel that
0: yeah (laughs) my my
2: mother my mother was a chemical engineer and uh, i was terrible at chemistry
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, weirdly enough, this this relates to another element, which was that when I was writing alchemy and um, a story which included alchemy, um, I had someone who read it who said, are you a chemistry major? <laughs> because the chemistry in this is so exact. Like, I had a whole thing where they made a bomb uh, made a bomb using alchemy by creating electrolysis to separate water and create hydrogen, etc. And they were like, you know, how do you know about all of this? And I was like, no, I'm failing GCSE chemistry, actually, at the moment. But because I was super <laughs> invested in the story, and because it was hard magic, all I had to do was find the system in the real world that worked and I could make that magical um, which was, which actually meant, made the learning aspect of it easier and more fun um, and meant that my chemistry teacher would look at me like I don't understand you because one minute you're really struggling with this and then the next thing you can recite all of the, <laughs> the okay thing. I'm
2: actually I, I promise I'm not going to go on a side tangent for too long but that is exactly how stories are supposed to work for human beings actually
0: um, yeah I agree. there's a lot of evidence
2: <laughs> that uh, we developed storytelling um, as a way of learning um, mm-hmm. and that's why when you're in when you enjoy something about a subject or you have something to apply it to that you enjoy you learn it much better um, learning just by reading nonfiction textbooks is not our ideal method of learning <laughs> yeah um and so I have also found that when I'm researching for a book or um, or for a tabletop game I um, I absorb information so much better. Um, I've learned so many random subjects just because I needed to know it for a book or for a game or something.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and same. I, I guess
1: I, that's I kind of the hard magic that... thing. <laughs> it's like there's, there's one subject that at university they kept saying, well, you've got to take this module. If you're doing plant biology and genetics, you absolutely have to have this module. So every year they put me in for soil physics. It's so boring. And the teacher <laughs> made it even more boring and i failed it and everything else i was doing really really well and i failed the modules so i had to retake it again i think on the fifth retake they were like what's going on you're fine with everything else i'm like it's just not going in it's not going in so clearly what i needed was someone to storify the whole no, idea absolutely. of s- absolutely. silty silt and sandy silt and claggy clay and whatever else
0: yeah, um, yeah that's, how, su- that's how polyglots like- have know yeah. so many
2: languages <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do something fun with it. Like they read their favorite book in another language or they watch a TV show yeah. or like
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think I, uh, that's actually something else that goes with the pros of uh, of um a, a hard hard magic systems is that it can actually teach you stuff that you can apply in real life. Um but let's get into the soft magic systems. Um, so, again, if just in case anyone's not sure uh, Soft magic is Vague, it's undefined It's mysterious uh, The reader may never fully understand What it can and can't accomplish um, But um, It doesn't matter because its purpose Is to add a sense of wonder To the story Now, as a general rule, an antagonist can use soft magic to cause problems for a protagonist, but a protagonist should only use hard magic. So we touched on that earlier on in terms of your main characters. And obviously, as we also touched on, there are exceptions to this rule. Uh, But generally, if you want a satisfying story, you should stick with that format unless you've got a very smart idea.
2: Terry Pratchett. Uh, Terry Pratchett. <laughs> yeah, Terry We're Pratchett. not, Terry we can't, we can't all be Terry Pratchett.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not all Terry Pratchett, damn it. Um, Okay. <laughs> so, um, what are some of the pros to it? Well, um, a big one, and as, you know, Olivia, you have su- so succinctly put um it adds wonder and mystery to the world building um and it is whimsical it can be eerie um or it can even be added in in a charming way but it um it adds atmosphere big atmosphere which if you're retelling a fairy tale you want
1: (laughs) yeah um it moves the plot forward by creating obstacles for protagonists rather than
0: creating solutions yes and one of the interesting things about the obstacles is that the obstacles will often call for the protagonist to display skills in the soft areas so in a sort of emotional intelligence social intelligence um you know uh, personable elements rather than um in the sort of the logic skills because it's often very hard to out logic soft magic because it isn't logical um it's very much a sense of feeling so um olivia you you were giving that example of of the young girl who helps the young animal on the on the side of the road um, it that's and then therefore comes across something whereby she cannot cross this soft magic barrier but her social skills her her kindness um her empathy these are the things which allow her to move around the um the obstacle of
2: soft magic mm-hmm. i like you know, just that i think that's, that's a, a good description
0: yeah
1: yeah
2: just
1: thinking of labyrinth for example yes (laughs) because i haven't brought it up for a while but basically that is that film is a fairy tale and it's just this this idea that um she succeeds against you know the the goblin king who is so much more powerful than her he can just rearrange time to his whim if he wants Mm -hmm. to and she succeeds by claiming something within herself within her own character yeah um that he essentially he can't touch
2: so I, I it's funny you should bring up Labyrinth. I'm halfway through a book that is heavily uh heavily borrows from Labyrinth right now. Um it's uh it's gonna be my first Victorian fairy tale.
1: Okay, that's Ooh. very exciting. It's <laughs> like two of my favorite things right there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean who did not okay. Women in a certain age range who did not grow up with with Labyrinth, even even like several generations have grown up with Labyrinth because their moms are like, "Here, watch this movie." Um, like David Bowie is is the Goblin King. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. But actually, I I really one of the things I really love about Labyrinth is that at the end of the day, it's a story about breaking gaslighting and that's so strong for female readers um Mm -hmm. because um even and especially when you talk about like you know what the goblin king represents it's it's a man who feels entitled to a woman because he did something for her that she didn't like maybe she kind of asked for his help but not really and then he was like, why aren't you grateful? Why aren't you grateful? You should be grateful. You should you should be my, my girlfriend now. And at the end of the day, like, the most uh, cathartic moment is when she says no. <laughs> yeah.
0: For
1: me... That, yeah, you, ha- you have no power. Exactly. You, quite literally.
0: Yeah. For me, it's the moment that kind of always struck me when I was younger, where he says, do as I say... Um, then and and I will be, be your slave. slave. Oh, yeah. it's such a good line. And I think that that is it, it. Perfectly demonstrates because you're like that. Doesn't make sense. That that can't be true. But it, it yeah, it literally makes no logical sense. But again, it's the emotional aspect, which means that it has to be a whimsical, whimsical power system because that's what he represents. He represents something which doesn't make sense and the only way for her to actually get through that is with emotional intelligence and the emotional intelligence comes
2: from her being less conflicted inside and it's it's a it's a an allegory it's a great it's a perfect use for a soft magic system Um, in a very similar way that Pratchett used soft magic because he's using soft magic to represent um, other situations and that's that's the internal logic of the soft magic is this doesn't make sense in a literal sense this makes sense because if you understand what it represents you can predict what's going to happen exactly yeah
0: yeah absolutely and in
1: that way oh sorry go on and i was just gonna say that in terms of something that really displays female agency for a young teenage character who's what on the verge of 16 yeah and it's just a case of there's all these different men that she meets on the journey and it's not actually an accident that they're male and that at the very end with the showdown she says i have to face him alone because that's how it is done even though she's she's made friends with all the, this, this cast of very strange unusual characters who are basically archetypes yeah of you know uh rough archetypes of the sort of men you might meet in your life kind of thing but at the end of the day, she's the one who goes in and, and has the showdown against the person who, in theory, should be the romantic male lead, but is, is absolutely the wrong choice. Oh,
2: you're getting me so excited about my book now. <laughs> like, I, can't, <laughs> I can't talk too much about it. <laughs> I think I should move away
1: from Labyrinth just because um, we could do an entire episode on it and <laughs> yeah. um, I, I have derailed
0: but, the call yeah, excellent, slightly. <laughs> excellent
2: soft magic example. Yeah. yeah. And I think
0: it also kind of goes to show that soft magic can be a great device in stories about the smallness of humanity as well. Um you know, particularly those containing cosmic horror, or even those where the protagonist um isn't great and powerful, but they're just doing their best, and I think Labyrinth is an example of that in that she's just a girl and she's trying to figure out all of this nonsense um and she does it again with the emotional intelligence, but we we do get it in the cosmic horror kind of thing, which is just oh, that is so big, and I am so small and Mm-hmm. I just work stacking shelves at Sainsbury's, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's like a, I'm not ready to face the alien spaceship. Um, but <laughs> anyway,
2: there's um, um I I think one of the one of the things that really draws me to um, old fairy tales is that they're kind of like lowercase cosmic horror. Um, yeah. Like if you go into the really old stuff, you're you're looking at fairies are are frightening and nonsensical Terrifying. and you're not meant to make perfect sense of them. They're just this kind of cosmic disaster that happens to people. Um, and uh, so I would say that it's, it's like yeah it's like lowercase cosmic horror um, and a lot of times it's actually defeatable whereas in cosmic horror you know the point is that it's not. Um, yeah. but that's, that's always just been one your of the death. things. <laughs> that's always been one of the things that I love about old school fairy tales
0: yeah it, this yeah. is going to sound like a random tangent, but it is linked, I promise. It makes me think of you know the revamped Doctor Who when it was Christopher Eggleston. Um, there was that whole episode where he's with this, these aliens who they, they eat people and they've kind of smuggled themselves into power and um, he, ha- he he goes to dinner with um, with the woman. Uh, who's actually the alien and they have this whole conversation about the fact she's like oh but we're changing you know i spared that little girl or i spared spared that girl and he says yes yes every now and again you spare one because they've got freckles because they've got wide eyes because they said the right thing at the right time etc um and he kind of he's making that point which is that she's trying to say no logically look to see we're improving therefore you cannot just destroy us Uh, we're improving and he's saying no you're not you are whimsical Um, you have no there's no set there's no pattern it will literally just be according to what you feel in that particular moment where you you might decide you're going to be kind or you're going to be cruel Um, and for me that perfectly encapsulates a lot of folklore, in that you can have uh, Holdra, for example. Holdra, or, or even Baba Yaga. Uh, Baba Yaga, in oh, stories, Yaga. Is, is horrible. Yeah. And then every now
2: and again there's a story of Baba Yaga helping someone. And there's um, um Vasilisa. Yeah. Um, yeah. So actually, this is um, a side note, but Vanessa in Half a Soul was based loosely on Vasilisa the Beautiful.
0: Okay, that's very cool. Ooh. I like that. Thank you for, for that. That's going to completely change how I reread it now. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> like that's actually really cool. Thank you for that little detail. Yeah, Ooh, I, I feel I'm, excited.
2: <laughs> I, I love, I love um, the concept of Baba Yaga and the idea that, um, for anyone who hasn't read the, the stories, you know, Vasilisa the Beautiful is this young girl who is um, unfailingly kind and polite, and because of unspoken laws baba yaga can't hurt her as long as she remains unfailingly kind and polite and she's kind of the exception to the rule yeah
0: Yeah. and so she tries to make her not but it doesn't work um yeah definitely um Um, other pros for soft magic
1: uh soft magic is as we discussed with terry pratchett obviously we did discuss it with terry pratchett but with terry pratchett as an example that's better uh, <laughs> it's more open to growing and exploring new facets because it's not it's not rule bound
0: yeah um again we talked about the fact that um, with hard magic systems you can't just add things later on that'll actually feel very very dissatisfying unless you do it in a particular way for example oh we're on a different thing so actually that we now we actually have to go back to square one because something has changed the state of reality or whatever which they do sometimes do um, and can happen in in sort of D&D inspired sort of games books and shows as well Um, but it is much easier to do it with a soft magic system because you were never given the parameters you were never sort of hustled onto a court and said the game is going to take place just within this space Mm -hmm. um it was always like a go forth into the wild where's the like where's the end where are the barriers we won't tell you go um so you can you can kind of keep going with it um
2: pretty much at infinite (laughs) Mm -hmm. now i i would say that um like i said before i do think that successful soft magic still has rules they're just less Obvious, And so soft magic needs to make emotional or thematic sense. Yes. Um, and so when you correct. break out of that, readers will notice. Um, they will feel dissatisfied even if they don't know why. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, that does take us onto the cons, really, which include contrivance and dex machina.
0: Yes. Um, and again, I think it, it, it's quite a sort of an interesting one in that... Um, and i cannot believe i've just forgotten what she's called uh, but there was a, a great kind of scholar who talked about what fantasy actually is and um you know her line is that fantasy is not just nonsense piled upon nonsense um which i think some people think it is uh it it always go- is going to have a certain level of structure. Magic always will have some kind of structure, um, but that structure might be emotional, um, and an emotional kind of structure is going to be very different from a mathematical structure. And if you try to introduce something which lacks any real structure at all, um, which is just just feels unendingly. Open and, and ridiculously kind of ominous um, that can kind of, some people have sort of done that with a little bit of the cosmic horror just to create that sense of you know depthlessness to feel like you're falling, to feel totally outside of control. Um, but in most fantasy, if you try and do that, people will find it very dissatisfying.
2: Well and I would argue yeah. that in cosmic horror the lack of control is the theme. And so it's because it makes emotional sense in that respect. The whole point mm. is, is to make it clear how little control the, char- the main character has. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how unpredictable things are. Um, you're, you're at the mercy of a strange, nonsensical, uncaring universe. Um, and so when, you're, when you have it with that theme in mind, it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, other, other cons if you like Uh, it can result in woolly world building or as we said unsatisfying magic Um, having to explain something every time a new element is introduced is also a big thing it really depends how good you are at Setting things up, I guess yeah. So that's Again, a practice
0: thing. If you, if you if you've been good with the emotional side of things, then you don't have to explain it because we just go yeah. Emotionally, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. You don't you don't need to lay it yeah. out because it just you're like yeah, I can actually totally understand how that would work. Uh, you your readers fill in the gap with their uh, sort of um, own emotional
2: intelligence. Yeah, I think so. uh, if we and I I won't go too far back onto this, but uh, if I bring up Labyrinth just for a second. Um, (laughs) you know we have have (laughs) the main character reciting this play and she can't figure out she can't remember the last line Um, and even when even I think even early on and I can't remember but I think even early on she does say it but she doesn't mean it and then at the end she says it and she means it and there's no rule that was introduced in Labyrinth at any time that said she would suddenly win if she said that line that is not but it doesn't matter because we know when she says it, that was the right thing to say. And we go, oh, that makes sense in context of the whole story. Um, yeah. It feels like that was the right thing to do. Um, and so yeah, that's what like- I mean by it has to make emotional sense. There are There is a kind of set of rules there. Um, and I think where a lot of authors fall down is they don't see those rules. And so I think that's probably why soft magic has kind of ended up with that like airy reputation of like being um i i think honestly it has a it has a bit of a stigma of being non-serious fantasy or something um, i think it also yeah. has a stigma of being lazy right and that's where people are wrong right um, but it has like, oh it's to, just yeah yeah unsatisfying but, and lazy. yeah but, but part of the problem is that um you know you do have authors who go into a soft magic system and say oh i can do anything i want now and that's just not true um, there is a yeah. craft to it, and you have to follow those rules. Otherwise, you, yes, your readers are going to complain because they know something is wrong. Yeah, yeah,
1: it, it's more an issue of lazy authors, isn't it, rather than or, la- or I think it's. Uh, I think it's part authors, of it
2: is that the um, the rules are very clear. Um, like if, if you go into a writing course. Um, and, and someone says, here's how you do hard magic. That's easily understandable to most people. We have mm. explicit um, explanations for it. Whereas I, I don't think there's a lot of um, teaching on the subject of how to make soft magic work. Um, so I feel like it's just not common knowledge as much. Um, yeah, it's yeah. one of those think, things you have to intuit uh, by reading good examples of it and then be like, oh, that's, those are the rules. Those are the unspoken rules.
1: Yeah, it's it's the it's the balancing act of maintaining internal consistency.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah,
1: I think is the issue.
0: Yeah, and you know, with all of that, is that if you don't maintain that internal consistency, if you don't, you know, actually really think about the emotional or, or the thematic side of things, um, it can mean that soft magic systems are not nearly as immersive.
1: Yeah. Um, let's look at a few examples, and you know the one that probably everyone's familiar with, although they probably haven't thought of it as a soft magic system, is Lord of the Rings.
2: Yes, yeah. yes. That's a, that's often the one Where, I bring up.
1: Yeah, uh, in it, it very much is a case of, yeah, there's magic there, there's all these races and things, but most of them don't, you know, they, don't, they tap into very small magic if they tap into it at all. Mm-hmm. And the people who actually really understand magic tend not to talk about it. So you've got um Gandalf, you've got the 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 eldest of the elves mm-hmm. and things. Um, and they don't really talk about it to, you know, our most of our viewpoint characters who who tend to be sort of, you know, the smaller and the, the the more powerless creatures. Um because they wouldn't understand. It would be like uh, an astrophysicist trying to explain certain aspects of physics or whatever to to, to a, a child who has absolutely no interest in yeah. that, area yeah. at and all. I
2: think, and and again, um, Tolkien loved fairy tales, um, so that makes total sense. Yes. And his um, his the Lord of the Rings has emotional sense to it; it has thematic sense to it. Um, and I think one of the main. Um, Actually, I I think one of my favorite um, examples of soft magic in Tolkien is he uses a very common fairy tale uh, conceit, which is the unveiling of magical items to help you along the way. Um, You know, there are very often in the series, um, the characters will be presented with like, oh, here's this magic sword named this. And what does it do? Well, you know, it's just, it's a very powerful sword. It does things. (laughs)
0: lose <laughs> yes,
2: like,
1: when the orcs near. Yeah, and you know? <laughs> there's, there's
2: nothing in the story to um, have set us up for like that unveil they suddenly find swords and then they're like here's this sword, we didn't know the sword existed until then but now here's the sword and the sword will often have um, sentimental meaning or or historical meaning within the context of the story, even if the characters don't know it, or or um, even if it's not, even if it's in an appendix somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: and the fact of the matter is, is that Tolkien was writing original mythology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the story makes a lot of symbolic sense. Um, symbolic emotional etc where we we don't need to question it because you're like yeah of course this makes obvious sense we can understand why this person has power this person doesn't have power and how it all works um, because it's not actually a story about magic it's a story
2: it's a story about cycles and yeah. if you and it's one of the um it's one of the only reasons i would tell someone to read the silmarillion i d- i did um but uh it's because you get a lot more context on the cycles if you're reading the silmarillion and go oh i see where that repeated itself um yeah uh i i love the silmarillion but i am very well aware that it is not um uh riveting reading for a lot of uh fantasy folks um- <laughs> <laughs> the thing that, that makes me laugh is that i feel like Tolkien...
0: <laughs> would have actually really thrived with writing a hard magic system because he put in a lot of logic and stuff like that around the story I... so he created an entire working language he thought about the fauna um and the climate and things along those lines you know he 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 even explained why certain language would be used, you know, pretending that this was a translation so that their names were actually different, etc. And so there was all this hard fact in there, but the magic itself is very much mythology. And it's almost like he was building up t- to a
2: hard magic system, which he never used. I, think, um, I You know, and I, I would say, actually, I think Tolkien would have done a really good job with a hard magic system if he had wanted to write one, but I don't think he yeah. ever would have wanted to write one. I don't think it was up his alley. Um, no, I and agree. So it's, it's, I agree. Yeah, it's like me where I'm like, I love reading hard magic, but I just don't enjoy writing it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I think um, I feel like re- maybe if you said that uh, if you'd said okay Tolkien here's a hard magic system and he went blah and he went it's going to be a
2: language based he might have <laughs> maybe on. Yeah, if it was <laughs> but then he never would have published it he would have just kept working on it forever
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, okay, a couple of other examples, but literally anything by Studio Ghibli seems to be yes.
2: kind of yeah. soft
1: magic. Yeah. And it's usually so charming or it's really eerie, but in a good way. And that's a that's
2: a <laughs> yeah. great example of like good soft magic because it's always thematic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah
0: absolutely um, obviously this this is and this is the interesting one is that howls moving castle the, the ghibli film is soft magic the book <laughs> is hard
2: magic yeah it's a little different
1: <laughs> yeah which is odd cuz the book again is basically a fairy tale <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> yes and speaking of
0: fairy tales star wars yes um, yeah, and this is one yeah. of the reasons why I say Star Wars isn't sci-fi; it's actually a fairy tale in space. Mm. <laughs> no, I have yeah, yeah, space wizards. Yes, yeah, space, space w- wizards. <laughs> yeah, they
1: are basically space Buddhist wizards, Space um, wizards, <laughs> <laughs> and it's—I uh, think when it's when they did the prequel trilogy after the original trilogy and they started trying to explain the force with <laughs> midditorians or whatever they made they made such a huge misstep because uh. everyone who'd grown up with the beloved original trilogy were like, what? No, it's supposed to be this inexplicable force. Where's the I mean, thematic the sense? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they dialed it back when they, they made the sequel trilogy Yeah, again, um, which you know, the sequel trilogy had its great moments and its absolute chaotic mess <laughs> moments yeah. um, but at least it it, it removed a whole midichlorian thing from
2: the yeah. <laughs> equation i feel i feel obliged yeah. to say even though it's uh has nothing to do with fantasy um andor is is easily the best thing that has ever come out of the star wars universe i love I, it
1: so i agree much. with that it was i mean it's it's on a it, it's following you know a strong wind isn't yeah. it with the setup with with star wars and everything but But Andor is just such an emotional, incredibly
2: well-written. Yeah, it it was really good. But we won't, we won't, we Um, won't go too far into that. I could talk for hours and hours about Andor. That's that's. We'll we'll lose Madeline. She's
0: Madeline's not really a Star Wars fan, so (laughs) you've you've already started to lose me. Um, But but, yeah, I think also uh, most. But not all, but most romanticism
2: also tends to be a soft magic system. Yep, I can see that. Well, you know, romance by its definition tends to be character-focused and relationship-focused, and that dovetails really well with soft magic. Um, Because if you're trying to establish thematic rules to your magic system, or emotional rules to your magic system, um, that's going to support a plot where the uh, whole point of the book is for the, the main characters to have an emotional development or realization
0: I completely agree and if you think about romance you know in its original origin not just meaning necessarily between a sort of a relationship element but something being romantic there is that whole element of whimsy the wonder of, yes um, of wonder etc um Okay, now we've touched on this, but let's very quickly kind of dive into the hybrid system because you might be asking, well, can we have both? Um, And yes, you absolutely can. Um, And this can be why there's a lot of argument over whether a system is hard or soft Um, and again because there's no clear definitions that everyone agrees on people might really start to butt heads Um, now often what some readers mean when they say hard magic is when something is going to be very precise and exact or set out in great detail Um, hard magic doesn't have to be so defined that there is no wriggle room however you can blur the edges to allow for that sense of wonder uh, when new elements are introduced and uh, just because something is hard magic doesn't mean it has to be hard 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 magic Um, you know there is again that sliding scale so you can have something which is soft hard magic
1: (laughs) yeah I mean you can also have hard rules with basically fuzzy boundaries so for example a spell should work a certain way but something goes wrong or the spell comes out differently depending on who performs it and as a trope that's something i can find either very frustrating or really really enjoyable
0: yeah um and you can even have two systems at once so uh tamora pierce um has uh magecraft so spells potions runes and ambient magic which takes its power from the living magic of mundane objects and crafts and obviously i've done that in the hamartia cycle where you have got the hard magic system which is the human's magic system and the soft magic system which is very much more of the the fairy side and the big problem of course for a lot of the protagonists in the Hamartia cycle is that they've got a mix of both and they can't control yeah. one <laughs> that's causing uh, yeah. small issues <laughs> I think where when
1: I think it's kind of like we, we talked about hard fantasy and soft fantasy and hard science fiction hard soft fan, soft science fiction a while back and it's the same level of snobbery that sometimes comes in when people say that um, soft magic or soft magic systems are not as good where it's kind of like well if it's not difficult then it's not worth reading mm. and they say ha- that hard magic is obviously difficult and it therefore is more intelligent whereas actually no it, it's just one is more apparent and the other is more subtle um, and I, I think people really get the wrong end of the stick with that so where a lot of argument comes in someone's, someone really gets on their hobby horse about hard magic being a lot better mm. it tends to be because some of the subtleties of soft magic might have just gone over their heads a little
2: bit. I uh, yeah. I, I blame high school literature classes uh, because yeah. they they <laughs> never they never give you good they never make you read good examples of fantasy uh, or or um, or thematic stuff. They're always like read the great Gatsby. Now what about the color green? What about this green light? What does that symbolize? I still remember <laughs> to this day. I was like, oh my god, I hate this book. I never want I, like. <laughs> you know they don't give you anything relatable or or, um, or uh, anything with a sense of wonder. It's depressing middle-aged white guys making a mess yeah, of their lives of and having affairs, bills, I...
1: <laughs> Death of a salesman, The Streetcar Named right, Desire. Like who which got who thrown enjoys a
2: that at that age? Who's going to be like, I'm yeah. going to intentionally <laughs> search this out? And gosh, I love the symbolism in this. No, no, you're going to put people off of symbolism and, and uh, subtle themes for the rest of their lives.
0: I'm so glad that I got to do Gothic when I was doing my A levels because, like, we did. You know, I had to go. <laughs> like, I had to go searching out myself. <laughs> Angela Carter and all that. But that's a whole other conversation. But um, I'm so jealous because that just wasn't an option
1: for us. And
0: oh. yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so I think what it comes down to is uh, how what's going to work best for your story. And so I think there are three big questions when you are creating a magic system. Um, The first is, how does it affect the world and story? The second is what is the cost? And the third is where does it come from? Um, And you should be answering those questions when you create a magic system, no matter whether it's hard or soft, because they will tell you where you are on the spectrum of hard to soft, and you will end up with something that the readers are going to ultimately find more satisfying.
1: Yeah, and it's not that there are definite right answers to those questions, by the way. It's more a case of you need to be aware of these things when you're creating a magic system.
0: Yeah. Um, again, and. That's the thing, is that because there are no right answers, the only right answer is the true answer for you. Because if you have written your true answer, then that will take you down the right path. It's like trying to sort of put it, something into Google Maps without actually putting the location in and expecting, expecting the right route to come up. You could end up anywhere. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer. So, um, I think we can kind of really touch on maybe failed magic systems now. Um, and what actually are the things that you really want to avoid when you are creating a magic system Um, and for me, probably the number one thing that comes up is that magic should not be an easy fix-all answer Um, unless you are writing you know early reading children's books and even then it's very frustrating i'm looking at you magic key Um, (laughs) magic should not be the easy all fix all answer to everything
1: yeah Um, i think if you do treat magic like it's like it is literally a magic key that will open every door for your your main characters um, eventually your story will fail and your readers will get annoyed because you know even if you're writing as you say those early reader books for children um, children still want some kind of conflict in the story and as, as you know we've been saying as Olivia pointed out you learn via story go the story needs to be engaging enough to make you want to pay attention to it so that you learn so especially if you're teaching children to read that's what these magic key early reader books are by the way Olivia I don't know what your equivalent <laughs> is in, in Canada but yeah, I had I had I had Janet and John books which were even worse than Magic Key. Let me tell you. <laughs>
0: you
2: know what? Um, you, um, I actually particularly enjoy the trope, and I, I've used it obviously myself. But I, I especially enjoy the trope of no, no, magic will fix everything. Oh no, it made it worse. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I don't mind that
0: there is a magical fix-all But the uh, problem is, is that there's three other magical break-alls
2: That are happening simultaneously You <laughs> one thing and then three other things broke It's like being a programmer Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Nobody moved, Doing we DIY. don't know how this is working <laughs> <laughs> That's It's so great when um, you just have to like No, stop helping, stop helping Yeah <laughs>
1: Exactly. I think another failure point is when you don't obey the rules you set out for yourself with a hard magic system, or when you allow a soft magic system to randomly solve problems instead of create them, um, because that tends to lead to contrivance. Yeah. Um, for me, contriving something is kind of a cardinal writing sin. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's the thing that will make me like put a book aside in disgust. Yes. I don't think I'm alone
0: there. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Alternatively, not considering the big three questions that we put forward, um, that can actually lead you to overpowering, which can result in your main characters having a little bit too much candy, um, which, check out our candy system if you want to know what the hell we're talking about there. Um, And that can result in, you know, sagging story and
2: pace and a very uncompelling plot. Is that- is that the spinach and the candy system? I...
0: Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah.
2: yeah. I yeah. I actually use that for um, tabletop games.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah, I can see it working for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely. Um, finally, your magic system needs to serve a purpose to the story. If you can remove it from the story and the story still works, then it doesn't need to be there. Now it's very important for me to point out here that you you might just say, well, actually, the system, what it's the purpose it's serving is to add a, a sense of atmosphere um, and uncertainty. That is a very valid purpose for a story if that's what you need in the story. Um, so don't think we're saying okay if it's not. You know, if, if you could retell this with something else then you should um, sometimes the only purpose is to create that weird sense and that's absolutely fine but it should be there for that reason um, you you know it, it, if it doesn't need to be there if it's not adding anything to the story at, and, and if at that point it's actually maybe starting to take away from the story then you're sort of failing at writing a fantasy novel um, your magic system should be integral to solving or causing obstacles in the plot. And again, atmosphere and stuff like that, that can be emotional obstacles. Um, That can be, um, you know, sensors and things like that. So it does need to be ingrained in some form or another.
2: Um, I would also add actually, um, I have a whole uh, discussion on why fantasy works particularly well for satire uh, and Mm -hmm. allegory. And part of the reason for that is that a sense of magic or otherworldliness can add a necessary distance from a topic for people to be able to consider it in a new light. Um, Yes. And I think that's one of the ways in which fantasy works strongest as a genre is it lets people consider concepts that normally um, they're just too wound up in in actual reality to consider more dispassionately um, or from a different perspective.
0: Yeah, I completely agree Um, And this is also why I think that there's a lot of power Attached to um, sort of fairy tales and things like that for children Um, Because a lot of children's books um, Even back before we sort of really considered them as children's books um, Are trying to teach important lessons And one of the, the big ones at the moment is obviously teaching empathy Mm-hmm. um and there is um a sort of oh what is her name maria um uh we weaver i think it is. oh yeah that's it. nicola nicola um weaver who wrote about this this concept called defamiliarization which is that by transporting you know uh the, the story into sort of a fantasy world by making it fantastical that is actually encouraging children to empathize with the characters more than if they can immediately associate with the characters because if they're going yes this is me um this is my reality then is it actually empathy or are they just projecting themselves? That's not mm-hmm. actually empathy, because they're not thinking of them as something different. Whereas fantasy actually creates a situation whereby they're looking at people and they're engaging with characters as separate entities. And the more magical, the more separated um the more they're engaging with them as separate entities and therefore learning empathy by engaging with them and caring about them. So fantasy, I think, is very important.
2: Yeah, in that no way. that's that's a fantastic point. And I think it, I think it's um, moreover, um, or, or in a similar vein, it encourages um, people to learn how to construct new logical constructs in their head. Um, Because you already have instincts that tell you how the real world works. Um, You don't have to examine those and try to figure out how you came to those conclusions. Whereas if you're in a fantasy world, if you're reading about a fantasy world, you are consciously building models in your head of this new world and trying to predict how this new world is going to work.
0: Yeah. Yeah and yeah. I think hard at the at the end of the day hard magic exercises the problem solving the logical problem problem solving part of your brain and soft magic exercises the emotional problem solving yes, part yeah. of your brain yeah um so we've got a few examples where we feel that perhaps the magical system just hasn't worked. Hit a failure point yeah. maybe. um, yes um, so obviously... So basically <laughs> the, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll just say A Court of Wings and Ruin by the time we get to that book, if you've read the Akatar series by S.J. Maas um, I don't I, I actually don't want to be mean about anybody's book, but it's just that by that point in the book, Pharaoh was so overpowered that Mass had to bring in um, Sabine, which has never been mentioned before this point, to depower her in order for there to be a conflict which she then mis- you know, mysteriously without a great deal of effort then gets over uh, later in the book and it's just, it's very contrived and I realise by that point a lot of people aren't necessarily reading for the fantasy plot anymore they're reading for the romance plot yeah. which is perfectly valid but I was still reading for the yeah. fantasy plot and at that point for me the fantasy kind of failed in those
0: books. The thing that gets me is that they didn't need to create Faebane. They'd already put forward this idea that Ash could kill all... The- they could've, it could have just been Ash like a sort of shredded Ash just put into her Weetabix in the morning or something like that. You yeah. know? <laughs> they didn't need to bring in Faebane. Um, but yes, I think it was a problem whereby uh because it originally started with the main character not being part of this magical system you could have the soft magic thing but then when she became part of it and then became overpowered with it um, it was very hard to continue it as a soft magical system whilst trying to basically engage what were hard magic system rules mm-hmm.
2: I uh, I would say that um, actually I have a great example of a magic system that does not work and I, I think you guys will understand why as soon as I say, um, believe in the heart of the cards. <laughs> and that is its own joke specifically because, like, I say that and everybody laughs. And the reason that we laugh is because we know, like, what is the heart of the cards? What are you believing in? What, what, what is the emotional realization you have come to other than, <laughs> I think I can win? <laughs> Like, yeah, there's no. And the thing is, it, it's so vague that you're like, I, okay, I think you're trying to say have faith, but in what? <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, maybe it's to do with
0: translation. And when I say translation, I don't just mean into the English. It's the translation from the original uh, manga into an anime, etc. Is that we lose this element of the idea of the cards actually being living things which you actually work with and they will work with you if that makes sense Um, which kind of makes sense on the one level but by the time it gets to where we are it is just a deck of cards Um, (laughs) and you're like I don't quite understand. Also, I don't understand how friendship helps in this situation either. Um, It's like, yes, friendship can be good in terms of saying, okay, actually, this gives me an extra burst of courage because um, I feel. But but how does it help me
2: play a children's card game? Yeah, how (laughs) does it, especially on motorcycles?
0: Um, Anyway. um, Anyway, so, yeah. I'm so sorry um, <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged has a lot to answer yes, for but also yes. a lot of um, has done a lot of good Screw the um, rules, I okay. have money <laughs> Yes
1: <laughs> um, Babel or Babel by R.F. Quang didn't work for me as a fantasy novel, um, mostly because she had this great concept with linguistics and what have you, which mm-hmm. I was really into and um, okay, that was all linked to Bars of Silver on that, and that is as far as that really went I I felt you could take that entire magic system out of the book and, you know, you'd still have the linguistics or whatever and and the actual magic itself didn't really add anything. So in in that respect, you could have written an interesting alternate history, which is essentially what most of the book is, uh, a very slight alternate history. Um, But the actual fantasy element, the magic system itself, just didn't really add anything in the end and was quite a disappointment that's, that's yeah for me so personally. sad i'm
2: if that's still near the top of my uh to read list and i'm probably going to read it anyway but i'm i'm crossing my fingers it works better for me i really well, want it
1: to work loads, for me you know lots of people absolutely loved the book and they they loved what kwang did with it and you know she's got this really amazing open and engaging style she can i think she can probably get you interested in pretty much anything um, unfortunately I can't switch off the little writer bit of my brain that goes hang on a minute that doesn't work so unfortunately it, it kind of missed for me um, this is nothing however to oh. the many and varied problems I have with Terry Goodkind's Sword of Truth
0: series oh Terry, I was like a, he's he's coming, he's coming, <laughs> there he is
1: summon, summon his ghost but Okay, just as an example, there's there's lots of things where you know I actually kind of enjoyed the first few books despite some problematic elements, um, but it, it gets to a point where, um, uh, as a fantasy a magic system, where it fails for me, you have an entire book. Uh, I'm trying to think which one, I can't even remember which book it was. I think he kind of pulls this this stuff quite a lot, um, whereby everything's terrible and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and and the the, the antagonists are so overpowered there's no hope for the heroes and terrible things happen to them you know rape and murder and torture and it, it, it's very very bleak and dark and the armies of darkness are literally marching across the land and nobody knows how to stop them and then Richard Rahl remembers that he's a war wizard, and without any training, he steps into the road, throws out his palms, Suddenly, he's in war wizard gear. God knows how <laughs> that happened because there was no time for a costume change, and the army just gets blasted to smithereens, and it's the end of the book. I'm just—it's just, it's just the, I'm
2: just imagining this. Like, wait, aren't you a war wizard? Oh wait, I am. Oh, okay, Hold there's on. a war wizard. You know, what, <laughs> there's a great um, uh, there's there is a um, like an indie movie called The Gamers. Um, and it has a scene, it's, it's the, the gist of it is, is just it shows a bunch of D&D players around a table, and then when they act out their characters, it shows them in costume as their characters doing this stuff. And there's this great mm. scene where they're trying to cross a river, um, and they're just standing there for a good, you know, solid 30 seconds, and then the, the DM, lo- everyone at the table is looking at the one guy, the, the wizard, and they go, <laughs> and he's like, what? And they go, aren't you forgetting something? What? Like, your character's paralyzing fear of water? oh yeah and then it just switches back and he's screaming and he, he like claps his hands to his face and starts <laughs> screaming and then they just drag him off <laughs> like that's exactly what that reminds me of because that is such a gamer yeah. thing to happen except it happened in a book yes hey, yeah. what about your it War is a wizard background you know yeah. oh right i do have that
0: <laughs> It's like, don't you have an ability against overpowered enemies? Yeah! Sorry, I didn't read the small print. Um. Yes,
1: anyway, it was incredibly annoying. I'm obviously still not over it, and this is like how many years, possibly even no, around 16 years later, and I still think that was one of the weakest ends to a book I've ever read. (laughs) So, there we go.
0: Okay. Well, I think we should kind of sort of round it off by saying just what maybe some of our favorite magic systems are perhaps we should limit it to to, to one each uh, which is very cruel of me <laughs> but uh, what what's a sort of a magic system from a book or a series or things like that 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 you that you really enjoyed
2: oh god don't make me go first uh <laughs> Someone else
0: go first. (laughs) Okay, well,
1: generally for me, it's anything sort of based on linguistics, but I'll come out and just say um, Garth Nix's Old Kingdom series because I just love the concept of charter magic. It made me desperately want to live in a world where you could shape reality with with charter marks. Yeah. Despite the dead rising and stuff, you know, (laughs) there are serious drawbacks (laughs) to that world as well.
0: Yeah, I think I have a hard time with it because um, I don't like very, very hard magic systems because for me, they um, tend to actually then get a little bit too technical, which takes me out. And I do prefer that sense of wonder. Um, I do actually kind of like the magic system that we get in um, The Lies of Loch Lamora*. Um, because you get this obviously the majors each using kind of different power they have the concept of names um they use sort of shapes and things like that and um writing uh but there is also this weird nebulous sense of something ancient and other oh, which yes. everyone is just mostly kind of
2: Living with and ignoring, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no, I like <laughs> what I loved about the the lies of Locke and Lamora, and there were some things that worked for me about that book, and some things that didn't. But the thing I really loved about it was the sense that you're you're looking at a post-apocalyptic fantasy setting in some respects, and like you have no idea yeah. what left these artifacts behind, and that just yeah. felt very. Yes. It it had a cosmic horror just tinge to it, just a little bit, where you're like, just a little yeah. bit, yeah like they they were at sea and then
0: you know the, the captain's like the dracasa is just they're like hey lock look out over there and lock looks out and there's just this huge sea creature just following them and he's like what in the hells and he's like we don't talk about it. so i kind of i liked that because it was a little bit of a mixture and it wasn't too hard for me um but I do have to say, I also like the system, obviously, that Jules employs, um, and not least because I also have to employ it in um, in, in the Unveiled series, in Harkor and Blackthorne, um, but also in Kestrel. <laughs> so, Olivia, have you had enough time Yes, to, yes, I uh... have.
2: So um, <laughs> I can actually bring up... Um, uh, there was a... Um, Small Miracles was in Spiffbo last year, um, the self-published mm-hmm. fantasy blog-off. Um yeah. and it won, which shockingly i I was not expecting that um but uh congratulations the, the second place book um was the thirteenth hour by Trudy Skies, and I loved that book, oh my god um it was uh and the the magic system was all based around the concept of um all of these different slightly slightly off humanoid fantasy races living in the same kind of uh, city at, the, at a nexus of worlds um, and mm-hmm. all of them were created by a god um, which still in some respects owned them uh, and so all of their powers were based on whichever god had created them um, and just everything about the system was so good and it was a great mix of hard and soft magic in the sense that like you knew exactly what people could and couldn't do but at the same time mm. it served a thematic point because really the whole point of, of the book is basically like uh, what if the god that created you was a jerk <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know like they own you they created you they have crazy amount of power over you does that mean you owe them everything like it was just such a great concept and I loved how the magic system played into it um, so yeah that was a book that really uh Uh, blew my mind pretty recently. I loved it.
1: Cool. I hadn't actually heard of that one so I'll have to check that out.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I think we've got to the end of our discussion. Uh, Before we go, Olivia, um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your books and, and things like that so that they can come and <laughs> enjoy o- on, online we had we <laughs> yes. add not, online, not
2: <laughs> stalkering,
0: not, not stalkering not, like. you don't need to give us
2: your name n- name number and address <laughs> I, I mean i can tell you that there is a tea house named thesaurus tea in montreal that carries some of my physical books just because I love the owner. Um, So, like, that kind of exists. Um, But, uh, yeah, uh, if you want to find me online, uh, going to oliviaatwater.com is the best way. Uh, It has everything centralized there. Uh, It always has my latest books up, um, like, where you can find them. Um, They're on all retailers. All of them should be. Uh, And uh, I do have a Patreon off of my website, uh, where I post preview chapters of stuff that's not published yet. Um, and we have a Discord. Where we rant about Andor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, guys. If you want to, if you suddenly went (gasps) now is my chance, go check out the Discord. (laughs) Uh, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week, and of course we, this week we are going to be recommending that you check out Small Miracles uh, by Olivia Atwater. Um, obviously we listened to it on uh, Audible, um, so do check out the uh, the audio version if you like, um, otherwise it is available, as Olivia said, from uh, major retailers. And on that note, we'll say thanks very much for coming on, Olivia. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we might have to see about come, uh, getting you back if you're interested. Oh uh, yeah, anytime. time. Um, because clearly there was some untapped discussion <laughs> here. <which> An entire <laughs> episode about
2: Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, yes. we do that.
0: <laughs> and on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks and goodbye. Bye!
1: You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughn.com. Please note, no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.